You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to The Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we will be speaking with Chuck Coletti, who is a two-time survivor of stage 4 follicular lymphoma, which is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Chuck was diagnosed in early 2016, where he underwent seven months of chemotherapy, which put his cancer into temporary remission. Unfortunately, seven months later, it returned in a more aggressive form. Then after four weeks of infusions of a cancer drug and options dwindling, he was accepted into a clinical trial on February 26, 2018, and has been in remission ever since. Congrats and welcome, Chuck. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. On today's episode, we will be speaking to Chuck about his treatment journey involving CAR T-cell therapy, which many have probably heard much about as it has become very popular as a hopeful option for many cancer patients. And for those who may not be familiar with CAR T-cell therapy, CAR stands for Chimeric Antigen Receptor. It is a new form of immunotherapy that uses altered T-cells from a patient's own blood to more specifically target cancer cells. These CAR T-cells are expanded in number and reinfused to the patient. And when these CAR T-cells are reinfused into the patient, the receptors may help the T-cells identify and attack cancer cells throughout the body. Chuck, as one doctor said, it almost seems like sci-fi. <laughs> yes, yes, it definitely is something out of uh, the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Now, currently, CAR T-cell therapy is FDA-approved as the standard of care for some forms of refractory non-Hodgkin lymphoma and pediatric relapsed acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and is available through clinical trials for other forms of blood cancer. How were you diagnosed, and what were your emotions around that time? Were there any specific life events that you were in the midst of? All right. That question's uh, a little bit of a longer answer than I, I was diagnosed on this date and went into treatment. I was a healthy 49-year-old, uh, just turning, you know, 50-year-old guy and, uh, you know, had no health, underlying health conditions. Actually, I had just, uh, my fiance and I had just uh, witnessed the birth of our daughter. My daughter was about six months old, so I waited in life to have children. <laughs> and so my daughter was born, and it was around September of 2015 and I had a, uh, a lump on the side of my neck and I had that lump for maybe a year or so. It was like, you know, just something that was there. Uh, never bothered me, had no other, other, you know, red flags coming up. And being a guy, you know, guys don't go to doctors. <laughs> um, you, you know, I'm 50 years old. I go to the gym every day. I just had a beautiful baby. You know, everything was going great. And uh, I felt no need. So around in September of that year, it was still there. And it looked like it got larger. It was about the size of a marble. 
and my fiance Brandy, she, you know, says, Chuck, would you please go to the doctor, get it checked out? And I'm like, I'm all right. And uh, to give a little bit of a quick background on Brandy, she's 17 years younger than me, but she had just experienced her father, grandmother, and grandfather in a five-year period die to cancer, wow. lose their lives in the battle of cancer. And right, right. So not that we had any inkling that I had cancer, but, you know, she was doing what I guess what your, your spouse does is, hey, you know, get your butt to the doctor. So to humor her more than anything, I went to the doctor, my PCP. He looked at it. We did some blood work. We did some CT scans. He says, hey, Chuck, listen, you, uh, you got a couple enlarged lymph nodes. He goes, but your blood work is clean. He's like... You know, I think it's your allergies. He's got the vitals of a 30-year-old. No high blood pressure. He says, you're perfect. He goes, I'm going to put you on Claritin and, you know, we'll call it a wrap. So I'm like, all right, you know, for me, that was a good enough answer. So I went home. We accepted that and went about our business. Well, through the course of the next couple months, you know, I had a few more people point that out to me on my neck. And they said, man, it doesn't look right. And I said, hey, I had it checked. My doc says, I'm good, you know, it's uh, allergies. Well, around December, I noticed some lymph nodes in my groin. And for me, I told myself, I said, you know what? Something is not right here. So I went back to my PCP doctor and, you know, I, I told him what was going on. He's like, Chuck, you don't have cancer. He says, let me put you on steroids and I'll send you to a, a ear, nose and throat doctor just to be sure. So went to in January of 2016 and went to an ear, nose and throat doctor. He looked at it, he says, yeah, he goes, looks a little suspicious. He goes, um, we could either, you know, schedule you for a full biopsy or we can do a needle biopsy right in here. So I said, why don't you do the needle biopsy? Did the needle biopsy and about a week later he called me and he says, hey, listen, he goes, we have um, malignant cancer cells. And I was like, uh, okay, what does that mean? He goes, well, we're not sure. We're going to have to do a series of tests to find out exactly what's going on. Needless to say, my fiance had me down at the hospital the very next day, and before I could say what's going on, they were taking bone marrow from me, wow. um, scheduling me for a PET scan, and uh, also a full biopsy. So that was kind of like, people always ask, well, what did you feel? Well, it happened so quick, and it was like that day, just like, I thought I was going down to talk to the doctor, and I knew there was something going on, but we weren't sure, you know. So seeing the oncologist that very day, getting, you know, all these tests done, we went home. And, you know, deep down inside, I said, okay, because they told me, they go, Chuck, it looks like lymphoma. So what do I do? I go home, I Google lymphoma. Oh, and no. And it tells me that, okay, <laughs> yeah, right, right, you're probably going to die, okay? So, you know, I, uh, I took that, and um, after I freaked out for a little bit, I settled down, and I said, well, let's wait to hear what, what they say. Let's get all the tests back. And I figured, you know, it was going to come back. And I figured maybe I had a touch of cancer, if that sounds, you know. I was too healthy. I was too healthy. I wasn't sick. I, I, I was, you know, there was no reason for me to freak out. So, uh, again, approximately about a week later, you know, I got the phone call. And it was my oncologist. And um, she had said, hey, Chuck. This was like on a Thursday. She says, I'm going to give you a bunch of information. And then on Monday, I want you and Brandy to come down and we're going to sit down. You're going to tell me all your questions. And then we're going to schedule to put a port in you. I didn't even know what a port was. Okay. So my head starts spinning. The first words out of your mouth, she's like, Chuck, you have stage four 
non-Hodgkin's follicular lymphoma. Now, all I heard was stage four. I didn't hear anything after that at the time. And my immediate reaction was, Dr. Osborne, is there a stage five? She says, no, Chuck, unfortunately there's not. So the rest of the conversation was kind of numb. She gave me, you know, uh, what kind of drugs they were going to use, what kind of therapies they were going to do, when they were going to do all this, and, you know, all this stuff. I have, I was actually at work that day. And um, so I drove home and, and had to, you know, share the news with uh, Brandy, which was, you know, heartbreaking. Because here she had just lost, you know, three people in her life, and now she's dating the old man. And the old man's got cancer and she's, you know, it was, that's something I couldn't even, I can't even, you know, describe how she felt, but I, I understand, you know, cancer affects more than just the person. So I was uh, diagnosed officially in January of 2016 and with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that's how I got there. Wow. I was just wondering if your doctor went over with you that really the staging for lymphoma is a little different than other cancers. I remember sitting down with her, and so Brandy and I sat down, and she goes, okay, before I go into what I'm going to tell you about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and our treatments, what do you have to ask me? So Brandy jumped in because she runs the house over here. <laughs> <laughs> And, and now, not only Brandy does, but my soon-to-be four-year-old daughter does, too. Of so, and, then my, and, then, and then my dog, Cooper, and then my dog, Cooper, comes, and then Chuck comes. Right. So I just want, just so you guys know, you know, the, the operational structure around the house. Um, well, that's the recipe so, for a happy family, isn't it? That's what they tell me, yes, yes. We're getting married in July. We've been putting it off because of... of, of of course, my illness, but you know, we're we're you know we're finally getting married in July. So, I think once I get married, maybe I can maybe move up on the food chain above the dog. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll um, see. I'll keep, I, I, I will. I, I will keep you guys posted. Yes, please though. send um, us pictures too. But, <laughs> but uh, so when we sat down with Dr. Osborne, who who I have to you know, she's wonderful. She I I wouldn't even know. If I had somebody else to start this journey with, I don't think I'd be where I'm at. So, you know, kudos kudos to uh, Dr. Jennifer Osborne, but um, anyway, at UPMC Hospital. Anyway, so the first question Brandy goes, is he going to die from this? And she looked at us and she says, listen, he's in great shape. He's got a great attitude. It looks like he's got a, a great support system. I believe if he does what I say and tell him to do that, we're going to get him through this. And he's probably going to be more likely to die with his lymphoma than from his lymphoma. So that was, you know, that was initially, I mean, because you come in, you're all amped up. You got all these questions. You're, you, we were going to go to eight different doctors. We were going to fly around the country. You know, I wasn't going to die from cancer. So after that question, I jumped in and, and, and because of my Google research over the weekend, I said, well, doc, what if I don't do chemotherapy because you know you read a lot and you know you hear different stories and you hear about chemotherapy and, and, and chemotherapy is a poison I mean there's no two ways about it it's not a pleasant treatment you know so I figured if I don't ask the question I won't get the answer I asked it and she goes I don't think that would be a wise decision you have what they call stage four and that's when she went into the staging of it and what stage four meant is that basically it's in your it's above your diaphragm, below your diaphragm, 
And, and you know, she basically said, if you don't do this, there's not a good prognosis for you. You know, it, it's pretty regressed. I said, but listen, I'm not sick. She goes, well, you're going to become sick and you're going to become very sick with or without the chemo. So we agreed to it. We went through our questions. And so that's when she did go into the staging where, you know, if you have fourth stage pancreatic or fourth stage lung cancer or breast cancer, it, it is different than having stage four blood cancer. But that doesn't mean that, oh, well, it's a, it's a good cancer. You know, uh, someone explained to me what a good cancer is. Cancer is cancer. And through my journey in three years, I've met a ton of people battling blood cancers. And unfortunately, you know, some of them who, who I can call my friends because we've developed good relationships are no longer with us. So with that being said, uh, yeah, the staging is different when it comes to blood cancers. So at this moment, you get this news, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so healthy. I, I, I do all the things I think I should be doing in regards to fitness and health and all that. So where did you go for support at that time? You mentioned your healthcare team was a great source of knowledge. You mentioned you went on Google, which can be your best friend or your worst friend. But where did you go to get more just information about this disease? People deal with diseases and illnesses differently. I'm an A type of person. For me, it's better to talk about it, better to educate yourself about it, better to reach out. And so, you know, I go home, we settle in, we kind of, you know, do our sadness part where we cry on each other's shoulders. I'm crying each other's shoulders for a little bit. And then, um, you know, I looked at her and I told her, hey, listen, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Don't worry about it. We're, we're going to go on and, and, and we're going to beat this. So I immediately went on to social media. And again, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm an upfront type of person. I believe that, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So I put out that Randy and I have been diagnosed with a, um, a cancer, a, you know, stage four cancer. And we didn't know much about it. I said what it was. And, you know, I have like 800 friends on Facebook, probably a hundred of them I know at that time put it out there and uh you know you get all the you know you're in my thoughts and prayers and you know, all, all the stuff that you know normally comes with when you have something bad happen in your life well one of the emails or texts i got back was from a girl i went to high school with and i haven't seen her in 20 some years and she's messaged me on facebook and she says chuck you need to call me she goes i'm the the executive director of the leukemia and lymphoma society down in south florida and I even know, I never heard of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Wow. Again, I, 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 right, because, I mean, you know, I heard of leukemia, never, I really never heard of lymphoma. And, you know, I knew about breast cancer. My mom had died of lung cancer. Uh, she was a heavy smoker. But, you know, I, I just, again, it, it, my ignorance, I, I just didn't even know there was a Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I completely understand because if someone doesn't get this diagnosis and, or someone doesn't know anyone in their, you know, in their close circle of, of friends or family that has this diagnosis, it's really not one that you go out looking for. So that's completely understandable. Oh, exactly. You know, so, you know, needless to say, she, I got off, I called her on the phone, we scheduled a call, we were on the phone for two hours and she explained so much about LLS and she goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm reaching out to the girls in Pittsburgh, going to put you in touch next day I was down there. Okay. So I, I was down there the week that I had my port put in 
And that was so helpful. You know, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, when I went down there, they start putting me in touch with people that had gone through this. I started talking to them. I started reaching out on social media. There, there are support groups out there. So that I took action, okay? What I think, one of the main things I think for anybody that goes through this, and I know it's easier for some people like myself to do this than others, and I respect that and I appreciate that. But you, you have to do for you. You know, I would love to have just sat back and, 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 and had everything come to me. But when someone tells you that you have a stage four cancer, for me, time was of the essence. So I immediately went and I joined eight support groups online. Okay. And I started talking to everybody across the country and, and in different countries. And within about two days of all that information overload, it was overloading. But you know what? I could breathe. I was like, man, there's people living with this. There's people that have, have, have you know, it, it's incurable. Not Hodgkin's is incurable. But there's people that have been in remission for 20 years. Okay? There's people that, you know, had stage four. And for me, it gave me not only a peace of mind to relax, but it gave me that shot in the arm and said, hey, listen, get out there and beat this. Every, there's other people that have done it. So that was like one of the main things I, I, I guess I did for myself. And there's people like some, some, you know, medical doctors will refer you to, to support groups and things of that nature. But I basically, within the first couple of days, before I even, to, even before I had the first drop of chemotherapy in my body, I think I had probably talked to maybe 20 people and it was very reassuring. And, you know, because you're like, does chemo burn? You know, you, you, your chemotherapy, it's a bad thing. There's so many different things. You know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to lose my hair? And there's so many questions. And again, it's something that I want to stress, especially at the very beginning. No matter how many stories, no matter how many people you talk to, their, their own personal experience. Chemotherapy and cancer affects people differently. So don't expect your journey to be like the guy next to you or the lady next to you. Your journey is your journey. Make it your journey. Do what you do for yourself. Do what makes you what makes you feel good, and do what you with what you're comfortable in doing. So, you know, you can't say, "Well, he did this or he didn't make it." Doesn't matter. It's about you. Right. That's such a great point. I mean, and the program that you're actually referring to is our Patty Robinson Kaufman First Connection program because. We do understand that there's so much comfort and strength in community, and this program connects patients and families over the phone with individuals who have personally experienced the challenges of dealing with a diagnosis, with a blood cancer diagnosis. So I think it's so important that you stress the point of, you know, at this point of your life, it's not going to look like somebody else's journey. It's your own journey, and all you can kind of gather from that is how you're going to move forward with what you know and connect with those who have been through it so that you can know that there are others living with this thing. Exactly. And it's so true that, you know, nobody's journey is the same. So somebody else with follicular lymphoma, even though they have the same type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, may not have the same treatments. But just the comfort of knowing that somebody else is going through the experience of being told that they have cancer and you're not the only one, that is very powerful. Yes, yes. And, you know, to give you a great example, a personal example, is that, you know, 
again, I've talked to people that went through chemotherapy that had such a hard time with it, okay? And so I was preparing myself for the worst. The medical professionals, you know, suggested, well, you can go on disability for six months. You can do this. You can do that. I decided not to, and I decided, and I made a promise to Brandy that I was going to um, live as normal as possible. We had a brand new baby, and I wanted her not, she just had to deal with three people that went through, you know, this journey and, and unfortunately didn't make it. And now at the happiest time of her life, her partner is going to deal with this. So I tried to make it as normal as possible. And for me, the first seven months of chemo that I went through, I missed about three days of work. I lost two pounds. I didn't lose my hair. I would sit in the chemo. They called me the Energizer Bunny down there. <laughs> I would sit and take chemo and eat sandwiches and have people bring me food in. Never lost my appetite. I think I couldn't drink coffee for like maybe two months. That was a weird thing. I did end up in the third month in the hospital for a week with uh, neutropenic fever uh, because of the heavy doses of, because it was so advanced, my cancer, they really hammered me with bendamustine and rituxan. And so I did end up in a week with, you know, no immune system. So I, I uh, ended up in the hospital. But beside that, I work as a business development professional. And they've been tremendous, too. They told me, don't worry about work, worry about yourself, get yourself better. People going through cancer treatments and cancer diagnosis, we have a lot to worry about. And so if you have a, an employer, and I think more employers need to understand this, too, is that, hey, um, there's a reason you employed this person. You know, get them better, get them back to work, give them the support. So I was very lucky through my um, first round, through seven months. And at the end of seven months... I mean, at the end of three months, they told me I was in full remission, but they wanted to continue the full cycle because they didn't have any, you know, uh, data on, you know, if somebody just did three months. So I did do the full time and um, ended up in, in full remission after that chemo. Wow. That's a great point for employers to hear as well. That's true. When was CAR-T introduced as treatment? Okay. So... You know, January 2016, I do the chemo, and it takes me through probably, I believe it was July or August the 16th, where I went into remission. And I stayed into remission for until about July of 2017, and I started having some symptoms. Well, when I went back and they said, hey, you know, your CT scans are showing some lymphoma, we did PET scans, um, you know, it was coming back. They did some biopsies, and yeah, it was coming back. They did a bone marrow biopsy, and everything was, as quickly as I had popped out of it, I was back in it. But what I, something else I will stress, when you get a cancer diagnosis, it changes you. And whether your cancer is a cancer that they can cure, you know, clinically, or if you have a cancer that, you know, is in clinically incurable, you'll never stop being a cancer fighter, Okay. And so even when I went into remission, it's not that I walked around and said, hey, look at the cancer boy. But I kept my, my contacts. I kept educating myself on treatments, on ways to take care of yourself, everything I could to fill, you know. And, and sometimes I maybe would go over, you know, and Brandy would say, you don't have any cancer. Why are you reading this? And I says, well, you never know. I said, believe me, I'm, a, I'm one of the most positive guys you'll ever meet. Okay. I said, but... I like this is unfortunately this is going to be part of my life from here on out and I you know we don't have to sit around and talk about it at dinner but at night you know when we're getting ready to go to bed and I want to read you know you want to read a book or 
you want to work on your computer, I'm going to read about um, the latest in uh, immunotherapy. So I had stumbled across CAR-T and thought it was really amazing. So I kind of knew about that. So anyway, when I got back in, my doctor, you know, says, hey, it's coming back. And, and, and Chuck, I think we're going to have to do a bone marrow transplant on you. And that just, I knew what it was. I, I was cringed at it. My daughter was, you know, two years old or two and a half, three years old and in daycare. And I'm thinking, oh, how is this going to work? Okay. You know, I was really, you know, believe me, people always say, Chuck, you know, you're so positive. You, you got this, you know, you know, Superman attitude. Well, you know, Chuck has downtimes too. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you can be, you can get angry. You can get sad. You can get mad. As long as that's a very little part of your journey. And that's what I try to keep it at. So, you know, when I heard that, I was not too happy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, this is going to be a rough one. So she had sent me to a specialist over to um, Hillman Cancer Center, a uh, lymphoma specialist. So we sat down with him and immediately, you know, he threw out, he says, I hear, I'm going to give you some options. He goes, bone marrow transplant is definitely an option. He goes, I don't think we need to do that right now. We can always come back to it. Throughout chemotherapy, more different chemotherapies, some uh, new immunotherapy pills. And then he said, I may be able to get you into a clinical trial called CAR-T. And he goes, and what CAR, and I says, hold it right there. And I explained to him what CAR-T was. Brandy looked at me like I was crazy. She was like, <laughs> how do you know about this? Um, the doctor, yeah, do, do, Dr. Ho, he looked at me and, and he was just like speechless. And I said, I've been following this for about six months. I go, are you guys doing this here? He goes, yes, we are. And I mean, you want to talk about, I, I just, it, it was so like, you know, it was so great that something I had been following and had, and this was like, even before, you know, I, even before my cancer came back, I was following it. And I was so happy because I knew there was going to help, you know, thousands of people out there. And now here I get to, you know, hopefully experience it. So he goes, okay, but we have to do, because it's in a clinical trial, we're going to have to do another uh, traditional regimen of treatment because you have to fail two in order to be qualified for it. So we went and we did more, uh, four more weeks of uh, heavy infusions of rituxan to try to stop or slow the growth of the tumors. And fortunately, it didn't work. Um, I know that sounds crazy because, you know, that was another thing. You go, Cancer, it, it brings you through so many different twists and turns. I didn't know if I wanted the rituxan to work because it, I already did rituxan and it came back. And I knew how promising CAR-T was. So I didn't know if I wanted it to fail or if I didn't want it to fail. You know, it was weird. But eventually it, it did fail. And so I went and did all the pre-testing and um, I was accepted into the CAR-T program. So that happened February of 2017. So when you were told about the CAR-T and it looked like you were going into the clinical trial, I know that going into a clinical trial can be a little bit intimidating, especially when they're giving you the packet for you to sign to tell you everything about that clinical trial. So it could be a little bit overwhelming, but at the same time exciting because you are getting this new treatment in CAR-T. How did you feel and how did you start with the clinical trial? You hit it right on the head, you know, that packet they give you where it says you may die. Okay. And I had friends come up to me, clinical trial. What are you, a guinea pig? 
what do you, you, you could die. I go, I got stage four cancer. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I, I thought it was at the improv for a minute there. Um, you know, <laughs> I did my research. I understood about this. And Brandy is a pharmaceutical sales rep. And she knows a lot about clinical trials. And it's not like Frankenstein where they're hooking up, you know, these cables to you and waiting for the lightning to strike the pole and, and see what happens. I mean, CAR-T had been around for a number of years in the trial basis. They learned what the, what the side effects were. They learned how to handle those side effects. You know, there's still people that were, you know, may die on it. But again, you know, when, when you have, you know, this terrible, terrible disease, that, you know, just consumes your body and you have a chance, okay? And it's like, go back to the very beginning of our conversation here, ladies. You know, when I Googled it, they said I had a 40% chance or something I read of living like five years. And they thought that was good. And I'm thinking to myself, five years? My daughter's just warm. I don't want to, I want to see her go to high school. I want to see her get married. I don't want to see her go to graduate kindergarten. So... You know, you get that packet, and of course you read it, and um, you know it's like anything. You go, you go get your tooth pulled, and they put you out, and you may not wake up. So I, I believe, you know, that you have to go with your heart and, and your gut. And Brandy and I had talked about, you know, we discussed it in detail of you know the pros and cons of of entering into this. So signed all the paperwork, and then we started the process. And the process begins with something they called phoresis, and Basically, what they do is is you go in and they put a line in your uh, your neck and they cycle blood out for about four hours in a machine uh, similar to a dialysis machine. And what they're doing is they're collecting these T cells, okay? And so it's not too bad of a process. It's uncomfortable. I mean, you got a line jammed in your neck. You got to sit still for four hours. For me to say it's pleasant would be a lie, but it, it's not, you know, it's not too bad. So you do that, they collect the uh, T-cells, and, and, and you get this bag of blood, you know, it looks like just red blood, and um, they ship it off to a uh, medical place out there that genetically re-engineers your T-cells and puts a receptor on these things. So once they isolate the T-cells, re-engineer them, put the receptors on, then they take them and they multiply them up, you know, like 700 million times, okay? And uh, so that takes about, approximately, it took me about two weeks. In the meantime, you go home, you went, I went about business as normal. I got the phone call that my T-cells were ready. So what they do is when your T-cells are ready, I went in on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and I did eight hours of what they call uh, conditioning, preconditioning chemotherapy. And it's not like getting a bone marrow chemotherapy. It's more to knock down your immune system and create some room for all these, you know, what I call ninja fighter T-cells to come in. <laughs> and um, they definitely need some room. So I did the three days of the chemotherapy. Again, it wasn't pleasant, but, you know, I handled it pretty well. And they send you home on the weekend to rest. And that included me probably cleaning the house or whatever list Brandy had for me because she knew I was going to be laid up for a while. But I did go home and uh, on Monday morning, Brandy and I went back to the uh, transplant ward. And uh, lo and behold, I had this little, little bag, just a, a small bag, clear bag. And they said, yeah, here's your, your, your re-engineered T-cells. There's like 700 million in there. And I look at this little bag and they're like, it's going to take about five minutes to go in. And... 
you know, after that protocol will be in about two days, we'll take you to the ICU because that's when your side effects will start kicking in and you'll be there for, you know, three or four days and then you'll be in a transplant ward for a day or two and then you'll be released and, you know, went about, and again, these are all things that we had known, we had read and I, I was aware of. So cells went in, had a little reaction to the cells. Um, they gave me some Benadryl, but uh, cells went in in about five minutes and uh, Brandy went home to get her daughter and she said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll come back and see you after I drop uh, Gigi off and, uh, you know, we'll wait for your side effects to kick in. Well, she went home and about three hours later, it was about eight o'clock at night. And, you know, I had finished my dinner. I'm watching TV, uh, laying on that very comfortable hospital bed. And I got up to use the restroom and I got a chill. And I was like, oh, that's not right. So I got back in bed after, and next thing you know, I start shaking and shaking and shaking. So I buzz the nurse, they come in. Next thing I know, I'm down in ICU. They're like, wow, your side effects are kicking in right now. And yeah, you kind of look at their eyes, you're trying to read them, and they're like, yeah, this is the quickest that's ever happened. So I ended up in ICU for six days or seven days, and it was pretty intense. There's two major side effects that you get with CAR-T, cytokine storms and neurotoxicities. I don't remember all of ICU because, like I said, it, it, it is pretty intense, the side effects. But when I was in ICU, the first thing that happened was, of course, I spiked a fever. That's why I went down there. Pretty high fever. I think it was around 104, 103, 104, 104, 5, you know, something around there. And I got a tremendous headache. I had a massive headache for about five or six days that even like the morphine or whatever they would give me, it, it just, the headache would not go away. And they would come in every two hours and they would give you neurological exams. Um, so they'd have you fold a piece of paper, write your name, you know, who's the president, what day is it? And as my side effects got worse, they started administering the drugs to counteract. Uh, which, you know, they knew what to administer. So I, it was a rough six days. Um, I'm not going to lie. You know, I look back at it and it was the first time in my journey that, you know, when, when you got oxygen on you and you, you know, you can't speak at times or you can't, you know, function. It was the first time in my journey that I ever really thought that, hey, I may die. You know, this, this may be, this may be it for me. Maybe this was the crazy, you know, clinical trial. Maybe I am that person that, that will die on this. But, you know, I got through it. They have a, they use a scale with these side effects. And it goes from like one to five. With one being, you know, barely anything, maybe a fever and five being death. I think I scaled out at a three and a half. I didn't go into a coma, but I was, you know, I did have some neurotoxicity and I did have uh, tremendous cytokine storms. And one of the, and again, I, I want to reference to people. I had talked to people that went through CAR-T prior to this, especially in the, the two weeks, even when I was in the hospital, I was, you know, texting or, you know, Facebooking people. And I talked to people that went through this and they said, man, it's, you're going through the storm, just bear the storm. And so even though I was scared and even though, you know, I did have that little bit of weakness in me, there was still that part of me that says, hey, listen, this is just like they told me. It's bad. It's rough. Okay. But I can get through it. 
So yeah, I, I got through it, and then I was released from ICU, and they sent me over to the transplant ward for about two days. And I was beat up. I was definitely beat up. Had a hard time standing, walking, you know, all of that. And uh, so I believe I had a total time, eight or nine days I was in the hospital total. I was released to go back home, um, but I had to stay within an hour of the hospital, which our home is, and I had to be watched 24 hours a day. I couldn't be left alone for, for 30 days. I had to have someone with me 24 hours. So I had a couple aunts come in. From out of town to stay and help out with the house and and and, and me and uh, you know it was hard. My appetite wasn't there. I lost uh, a good a good amount of weight. My muscle tone just I, I was beat up. Um, I couldn't stand in the shower. Tremendous heartburn. Had trouble remembering things, speaking, you know, holding conversations. Which Brandy, because I am a talker, <laughs> Brandy, so I say. Man, you, I've never seen you so quiet. And, you know, trying to get a laugh out of me, you know. So she was, you know, she was always there trying to, you know, get me to... Because, it, like I said, it, it was very unpleasant. But I was able to go back to work 45 days after. And they wanted me to stay out for 60 days. They wanted at least 60 days. And I told them I would. But, and again, I, I work in, in business development sales. So um, it wasn't like I was a labor guy doing something where I had to lift because I, I had no strength. I had no strength. Um, I was very, still very weak. And I had people drive me to work just so I can go into the office, just try to function normally. But then around day 70, I believe it was, day 70, because it, it was like not quite, it wasn't three months, but I started working out at home. And I started, you know, getting my muscle tone back. And then I believe at 90 days, I was back in the gym. And I was real careful, you know, because my immune system was beat. You know, and when I say I was back in the gym, I may have gone to the gym, walked around for 15 minutes, picked up a weight. But you know what? It felt normal. And that was part of my recovery process. So I would say 90 days for me. And I went and I met with people that went through CAR-T and they looked at me. And, and again, this is why I tell everybody with chemo, CAR-T, People looked at me in 90 days, they didn't believe I did CAR-T because I was moving around so well. I talked to a lady who I met, and it took her over a year. I mean, she was in a wheelchair at home for two months, you know. So you have to remember that, you know, I'm here I'm here to inspire and motivate, but I'm not here to set a standard, you know. I'm not here to say, well, hey, this is where you need to be. You know what? Only you can tell yourself where you need to be. And for me, I put my goals, and sometimes I reached my goals, and sometimes I fell short. And you know what? I was all right with falling short because you know what? I was alive. And tomorrow is always, you got to tell yourself, tomorrow is always another day. So you may have wanted to go and walk around the block, or you may have wanted to walk on the treadmill, or you may have wanted, you know, just to sit up today, but you didn't feel like it. That's fine. You know what? This, is, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Absolutely. Was there a specific day or time where you said to yourself, I think I'm going to be all right? Once I got home, and even though, again, I said I was beat up, I knew I was beat up, and I had read enough about the intensity and how quickly my side effects had started. So I was pretty confident. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a PET scan for 30 days. So I was pretty confident that I could feel my cancer being beat up. I mean, I was confident that this CAR-T was working, okay? And being out of the hospital 
and being able to, you know, be at home and not on oxygen and my blood pressure was fine and, you know, playing with my daughter. I mean, even though I felt like crap and even though, you know, I didn't look like myself and I slept all the time, I, in my heart, I was like, I think this is working. You know, to answer your question, and, and again, everybody's different, but man, when I got home and I really felt that, hey, I think this treatment's going to work. And I think I'm out of the woods because they tell you, you know, th these neurotoxicities can, that's why you have to be watched. They can hit you, you know, 30, 60 days out. So you have to be really careful. And, you know, I, I would never take anything for granted. But in my gut, I was like, you know what? I think this is going to work. Yeah. So having gone through this experience and looking back, are there any questions that those who may be listening, who may either be considering it or maybe, you know, about to, to begin their journey of CAR-T treatment, is there any question that you think would be beneficial to that person to ask their healthcare team? I think any healthcare team, like when you're going through cancer and, you know, when you're going through a battle, you should always ask your health provider, your team, your doctor, your oncologist, whoever, you should always ask them, you know, about options if they know about clinical trials. Because, I mean, I'm talking about CAR-Ts because, you know, like I want to be the poster child for CAR-T because I believe in it so much. But they're developing every day. They're developing things. I still believe CAR-T is definitely a game changer here. But I think you need to ask your team, you know, what do, you, what do they recommend? You know, what do you think is right for me? Because they may not think CAR-T is right for them. They may not need CAR-T. You know, and there's so much going, there's so much confusion right now with CAR-T and, you know, what's approved, what's not approved, what, you know, what insurance, like insurance companies wanting to cover it. I mean, and, and something we haven't touched on that I definitely have to bring up. One treatment of CAR-T is like $500,000, okay? You know, that used to be something that angered me, you know, when I started this journey three years ago about the cost of, of medical treatments and things of that nature. Because, and, and, and again, all you people that are listening out there that are, you know, supporters or, or survivors or battling it right now, you know, cancer affects you mentally, emotionally, socially, but it affects you financially. It changes you, okay? But my dad gave me some good advice. He says, Chuck, you can't put a price tag on being alive. He says, worry about it later. And he's right. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I may not even be talking right now, okay? I may be done. But because of the, the way chemotherapy has evolved, and hopefully we can get rid of chemotherapy one day, because I do believe the more toxicities you put in your body, you know, the bigger chances you're going to have of getting uh, secondary malignancies down the road. But I do believe with the research and the monies, and that's why organizations like LLS are so important. That's why I am running for man of the year, because I want to raise money, because they donate so many monies to these trials. Everybody's a little bit different. So, you know, is CAR-T right for you? Um, it may not be. You know, there's just so many variables right now because it's, it's in that transition mode of, you know, some of it's approved, some of it's not, some of the insurance will do it, some won't. You know, but that's just something you'll have to discuss with your uh, medical providers and insurance companies and your family. Right. Absolutely. And it's so exciting to speak with you, just to know that you've gone through such an innovative treatment. Our cells, our blood cells can recognize, you know, colds, but at this point they can't recognize cancer cells to kill them. 
And now with CAR T cell therapy, re-engineering these cells so they can go back into your, bo- your own body and kill these cancer cells is just amazing that you know our own bodies are able to, to kill these cancer cells. So it's just really exciting talking to you that you know you've gone through this and I just wanted to know, how are you doing now? What are the doctors saying about your follicular lymphoma? Well, I'm doing really good now. I've had a pretty, you know, February 26th this year will be, and by the time this broadcast, it'll probably be passed, but this February 26th, 2019 will be one year. And I actually go back on that day for a PET scan and blood work and test. So, you know, as of right now, I'm in remission. I've learned, you know, again, I created my new normal. Okay. I mean, this morning I was in the gym before work. I ran three miles on the treadmill, lifted weights and, you know, went to work. You know, I I had to adjust things and I found out things that, you know, my body's been through a lot in three years. And a lot of people that go through treatment, our bodies take abuse. And sometimes it takes not just months, but it takes years to get back. Sometimes it will never come back, you know. So what I found is that I found that I keep myself And by no means am I this guy that won't eat a pizza or drink beer or have a glass of wine or, you know, I love that stuff. I'm a foodie, okay? But I also, you know, it's like, oh my God, don't eat red meat or, no, 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 no. I I do everything in moderation, but what I've done, I've done a couple things. And even though I've kind of kept fitness part of my life, you know, since I've been a kid. And that was one of the reasons too, and and, and I'm sorry I didn't bring this up sooner, is that one of the reasons they think I did so well during chemotherapy and actually with CAR-T was that, you know, I kept myself pretty much a healthy individual. I was able to, you know, like, again, not indulge, like, I believe in moderation and everything. You know, I worked out and and um, watched my diet to a point. So it helped me in my recovery or in my um, battle with it. But what I found out in my recovery, and, you know, I had a, like, I said, well, I'm just going to run to the gym now, and I'm going to work out, and I'm going to get back to where I was. Well, hey, put the brakes on. You know, your body's beat. So I had to dial that back. Something that I've never done in my life was supplement, because these treatments and these drugs they put into you, they deplete your body of so many nutrients. And I don't care how good you eat. I mean, my, my Brandy makes me a smoothie every morning with kale and this and that. I've been doing this for, you know, a long time. But no matter what you do, you need to supplement. And, you know, I never did that. I didn't believe I did, you know, needed to. So I, I had to change up some things, you know. So now I go to the gym and I also take nutrients every day that have really, really helped me. And I was the guy that didn't believe in nutrients. You need to, you know, create your new normal because prior to cancer you were one person doesn't mean you're going to be a totally different person coming out of it but there's some aspects of your life that you're going to have to change so if you can do that i think you'll have a you know a good shot at overcoming this illness and i think that's such a great point when you mentioned that you know this new normal is it's wonderful it's a weird situation because many people think to themselves i want to be my old self i want to do the things i used to do but the reality is that there is a new person that comes out the other side. And to, you know, just to kind of get comfortable with that and really approach that with, so, with ease and with 
some sense of idea that this is who I am now and I can't change it, but what I can do is work with it. And your new normal is what you create, helps you get through each day and, and really feel like you have control of the situation. Oh, it, it, exactly, exactly. And, you know, that was tough for me because, again, you know, I had it in my mindset from day number one. I'm just going to go around and, and, and just act like nothing's, like cancer's not part of my life. But unfortunately, it was. And as much as you don't want to change some things, you do. But it doesn't have to change who you are. And, and, and I guess at the end of the day, I always live by the motto, cancer does not define me. I define cancer. You know what? Listen, you get that phone call, Chuck, you got stage four cancer. You got two ways of dealing with this, in my mind. You deal with it on cancer's terms or you deal with it on yours, on your own terms. And, you know, because it's there. Okay, you can't pull the sheets over your head. And I just said, regardless of what happens, I'm going to deal with it on my terms. So, you know, if, uh, if, if that helps anybody, you know, it just deal with it the way you want to deal with it. There's no right or wrong way either. There's no guidebook for cancer. Who knows? No, Who knows what to no, do? It, it isn't. Hopefully this information has helped people. I, uh, you know, if anybody that's interested or has, you know, questions for me, uh, CAR-T, about CAR-T or whatever, I actually developed a website for informational purposes. And I don't know if you guys can put that out there. Sure. Uh, at the, at the pot, but it's www.colettisurvivorsquad.org. And you can, there's an area where you can send a question to me. Um, I can give you my personal experiences. Again, I advocate for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and I'm always like Googling <laughs> or researching. So if um, if I can do anything to help anyone out there, you know, I'd be more than happy to do that. Thank you. We do appreciate it. Yeah, it's really helpful to hear from somebody. And at this point, there's not a lot of people that have gone through CAR-T. So it's very helpful for all the CAR-T participants to, to actually be able to talk to others because there's not a lot of people out there yet. And I think, you know, in the near future, hopefully there will be more. Hopefully they will and they have been looking into CAR-T for possibly second line therapy. So like Chuck, you had to fail second line therapy before you can get CAR-T hopefully somebody else that comes behind you doesn't have to go through that second therapy that you had to go through before CAR-T. Hopefully they can get it at that point. Hopefully they can get it as a second line therapy. Exactly. And, you know, eventually who knows when it, when it does become an outpatient procedure, maybe we don't even do chemotherapy anymore. Okay. You know, maybe this becomes, you know, the new norm. So I understand, Chuck, that there are many who are interested in your story. Can you tell us more about who you've had the opportunity of sharing your experience with? There was a company that came out and did a documentary on a short one. It's about 15 minutes long. It, it can be found on my website. I believe there's a link on there. And basically, they followed me out of CAR-T, probably, I would say, 45 days out of CAR-T. And uh, it, it's a pretty interesting thing. HealthCentral.com is a, uh, a company that follows people with chronic illnesses that lead a normal life. So I did that. I was uh, actually a father of, of the year for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society uh, this past Father's Day. They did a nice little write-up on me. 
I was interviewed by Parade Magazine and Parade.com. It's a pretty, uh, pretty nice interview. All these can be found on the website. And uh, the USA Today did a special insert on September 20th of 2018 on blood cancers. And I was one of the people that was uh, interviewed. And the interview was in the uh, USA Today. So I did that. And uh, so it, it's been, you know, hopefully, you know, again, I know there's people out there, you know, that don't, you know, because I've come across people that have contacted me and they're like, I can't talk about my illness or, you know, I wish I could, you know, tell people my story and inspire people, you know, like hopefully I'm inspiring people. But, you know, the owner of my company told me something three years ago when I got diagnosed. He said, Chuck, there's a reason a guy like you got cancer. And there's a reason a guy like you is endured for three years. And, you know, you go through what you go through, but then you promote it and then you put it out there. And then you, you know, you try to educate or inspire. I spoke at a blood cancer conference here in Pittsburgh a few months back. And I had people come up and give me a hug afterwards. And you know what? I mean, I've worked my whole life, you know, and I've always been the guy that, you know, a hardworking guy and, you know, want to make sure I got everything in line. And, and, and I used to get great satisfaction out of that. You know, I consider myself a hard worker, but I've never got as much satisfaction as I've gotten since I've gotten cancer. For me to be able to, you know, when I'm sitting in the chemo ward and sitting next to the lady who's got stage four breast cancer, that's just doing end of life care. And I can make her laugh. I mean, you know, for me to be able to do that, there's no words, there's no reward, there's no check you can ever get to, you know, say, wow, you know, you made her smile today or you made her laugh today, you know, I mean, to get that hug and, and, and the people say, hey, I, I love for what you're doing. Listen, cancer is still a tricky business and doctors are great and medical professionals are great and leukemia and lymphoma organization and pharmaceutical companies and you guys are all great. But survivors and, and, and people who are battling this, man, we, we have so much to give to other people that are going through it, okay? And, you know, I think that, you know, by doing this, by doing things like this, for me, and that, that's why if I get a phone call and they say, will you do this, will you do that? Of course I will. Um, because even if there's only one person that listens to this today, and if there's one person that takes one thing from this today, it was well worth my time here today. So, yeah, I, you know, again, I, I, I love doing these things and I love putting the word out and, and uh, trying to help others. So thank you so much, Chuck. Yeah, thank you. It was meant to be for you to share your story. You've helped so many people. Really, thank you. Well, thank you, ladies. It was uh, it was a pleasure being here today. And it's one thing to read about CAR-T, but it's, an, it's much different to hear someone's story and understand what they went through, the emotions they had, how they were feeling. So thank you so much for joining and sharing your story with us and our listeners. No problem.
Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.